so there's this notion that diamond is the uh, you know uh, the strongest substance it's actually not the strongest it's the hardest substance so there's a okay. difference between hardness and strongness okay so so yeah this is interesting so when when i say that diamond is the hardest it means that it cannot be cut abraced or they cannot be chipped on a diamond by any other substance but another diamond can actually easily influence another a given diamond no rain well hello guys welcome to the narayan agarwal show yet another episode and today we have a very dazzling blinging episode the reason being we have a diamond merchant on board yes a diamond merchant and jeweler he's not somebody who just learned from the trade he's also a graduate from the gemological institute of america and has studied diamonds in his own time and is part of the trade so without further ado let me welcome mr mayank podar a dear friend and a diamond merchant on board mayank how are you doing i'm doing good narin thank you for inviting me to your show and i am a big fan of the narin agarwal show i'm so happy that uh, you you like the show and that you're able to join us i was expecting a little more bling and dazzle from your side but you kept it all plain <laughs> white shirt and the plain white background i tried to put on a fancier uh, you know uh, bundi for you but it's fine <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to That's keep expectations. But today we're going to be talking about diamonds. I'm super excited about this because I know everybody likes diamonds, everybody adores diamonds, but we don't know the history, the the way it happens, the pricing, all these things behind it. So I'm excited to explore and dig deep into that. Some tough questions coming your way, Mr. Podar. Throw it, throw it on, man. Throw it on. Okay, okay. So firstly, let me ask you. Why are people fascinated by diamonds? Why do people like diamonds? You sell diamonds, you see people mm-hmm. coming and buying from you. Why do people like diamonds, do you think? See, if you see at its core, diamond is a luxury product and like every other luxury product, whether we consider luxury cars, shoes, watches, etc., its main value is its aspirational value. People aspire to own diamond because historically it has been a status symbol. It has been a symbol of the rich, famous and successful. but if we consider the indian culture diamond has more of a cultural value in india because if you see india's recorded history the kings the nobles royals etc gemstones and precious metals they have been the center of indian culture for as long as we can remember like uh, the kings the royals nobles they used to reward their courtiers people of art etc by gifting them by giving them these gemstones and diamond because of its rarity because of its luster held the special value so it is primarily because of the cultural reason in india that diamonds are something that i aspired for because back in those days and ages the middle class you know the uh, the peasantry they also aspired to have this gemstone which was gifted and uh, sought for by the nobles by the royals uh but now like in the in today's 21st century you know um i feel that diamond's primary appeal is also because of its ornamental value and because it is a very safe uh, physical asset it's a store of value because uh, these days like we have our investments in financial markets and instruments but diamonds are one of the safest physical assets because they are uh, immune to natural calamities they immune to financial market movements and it is something that you can easily store your money in gift it to your kids when they are getting married and it also can be used for ornamental purposes so it's a luxury which also has value wow that's a very interesting insight actually yeah. you, i i think it's very interesting how you mentioned the indian culture is 
is different in the sense of how it perceives diamond because of the cultural heritage that we've had. But the rest yeah. of the world, it's an aspirational value. About the about it being a financial asset, that's a very interesting point as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder though if uh, people invest more in gold because of uh, you know saving in financial assets, or do you think in your experience people also invest in diamond as a financial asset, or is it mainly for the aesthetics and the look and the aspirational value? That's actually a very interesting question. So, like being in the jewelry trade, we realize that gold is the most sought after metal, and diamond is the most sought after gemstone. Right, and when we are making jewelry, these are both raw materials for us. However, gold is something that is considered more traditional. It is something that is more uh, cultural in Indian culture. Like if you see the entire diversity of Indian culture, the different parts of our country, gold is a more sought-after investment. However, diamond has got more ornamental value. Like as Indians get more independent, they embrace Western culture and the Far East culture. we realize that gold is something that is not entirely universal but diamond adds the universality in the gold in the in the ornament that it is which is made so wow. um yeah so uh, though people prefer gold but diamond is something uh, which is uh, has more ornamental value these days yeah what you thanks mm-hmm. thanks for that insight so yeah. my how does one price a diamond because i feel there's so many different diamonds the same i see two diamonds one is a million dollars one is 1000 dollars that's probably a fake one but like i think the pricing in diamond is not standardized and it's very tough for normal people to gauge so how does the pricing come about so um so diamond is something that is not homogenous because it's a natural material uh, they can be essentially classified into the four c's as you must have heard about like there is the color of the diamond and then there is the clarity and then the cut and then the carotage carotage is essentially the weight of the diamond so the more is the carotage of a diamond the more is the weight the more precious it is you know the more rare it is the more resources it has take, taken to process it so it's more expensive similarly the whiter the diamond is if we talk about white diamonds the more expensive it is the clearer the whiter the purer and how well it has been cut in the manufacturing process so sometimes if you see a 3 carat diamond right which is then the two 3 carat diamonds might have different values you know because uh, one is completely clean it is it has better color like the color ranges is from d to mn in the alphabetical scale right so defg is like whiter color and then if you go down like klm that's yellow or greenish tinge so you know the whiter the diamond is the more precious it is I see. So it's not a one-dimensional yeah. look. That this is how yeah. much it weighs, and this is mm-hmm. why it's uh, yeah. so valued at this rate. It's almost like a four-dimensional mm-hmm. look. So weight is yeah. one part of it, the carat, and then mm-hmm. the other three C's were what? Color, color, clarity, clarity, cut, cut. and cut. How it's cut. So color, clarity, cut, yeah. and carat. So four four-dimensional look. Ah, yeah. that's a very interesting point. I think in gold we have probably a two-dimensional look. With the weight mm-hmm. and the carat and the and the quality and the yeah you know, true diamond is so four in, dimensions yeah. so it's all so the in more that complicated. Sense, in that sense, gold is more homogenous. It's more universally accepted, and it can also be uh, traded on the financial markets. You know, you have gold derivatives and options and all because it's homogenous, right? You can just buy gold. You can put your money, and you know you will get pure gold if you are putting it in financial instruments. But there have been experiments. You can see in the last couple of years where. Uh, some of the stock exchanges they tried to do like a diamond bourse like diamond derivatives and options and they couldn't do it because you know it's subjective it depends on your eyes like what you perceive as 
Wow. Mm-hmm. So, are there any two diamonds that are exactly the same? Can you claim that? Yeah, the, see, the multiple diamonds which are exactly the same because uh, nowadays we have internationally recognized uh, grading laboratories. Uh, one of the more uh, popular ones is GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America, and another is IGI, International Gemological Institute. So, they grade diamonds, thousands and millions of diamonds every year on the basis of the four C's. So you can have two diamonds which are exactly the same carbon copies. Okay, okay. I I, yeah. I was wondering if that mm-hmm. was possible. So yeah. cool to hear that it is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome, Mike. Where do diamonds come from? Where do they come from? So uh-huh. I know there's a lot of uh, history, a lot of controversy around diamonds because mm-hmm. uh, of the blood diamonds. I don't know if our viewers have heard it, but there are countries mm-hmm. like Angola, Sierra Leone, where you know. Uh, people are almost put to death mining diamonds and bringing them mm-hmm. out. Um, is that is that true? And where do diamonds come from? And wh- why so much controversy around diamonds? See, as such, uh, if you see the history of the diamond trade, for about 2000 years, India was the only source of diamonds. It was actually the only source of diamonds, which is why um, Indian culture, like Indian royalty, Indian uh, the Nawabs of India, they had diamonds which were like much before it was discovered in the Western world. But That's like the modern thing. Di- yeah. But the Is modern that why we have the biggest diamond? Uh, yeah, Kohinoor, the world's the, biggest diamond. Yeah, the Kohinoor diamond. And we also have the famed Golconda mines in Hyderabad, which is considered the most premium diamond mine. It was actually one of the first diamond mines to be ever discovered in this world. And okay. it produced some of the biggest diamonds. In the late 1800s, the modern diamond trade came about as we know of it. And uh, mines were discovered all over Africa, you know, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Angola, etc. However, uh, because of the local uh, government machinery there, this newfound wealth was not uh, put to use in the entirely correct way by these countries. And because of uh, this, rebel groups within these countries, they they took hold of some of these mines and they essentially um, were uh, used forced slave labor, men, women and even children to dig in these mines illegally. And then they use these diamonds that were dig to fund their other rebel activities, you know, drug smuggling, mafia, terrorism. And uh, they created strife against the very country in which these mines were being mined. These diamonds were being mined. So these rebel groups were within the countries or were they external forces from the uh, from Europe and other, other such countries? No, other so they such were within continents. the country. They were within okay. the country and they were essentially marginalized communities which were trying to rebel against the government. And they used the wealth that these diamond mines provided them through forced labor, slave labor. And they generated funds to uh, fund their goals and aims. So this is what the blood diamonds are, the unethical diamonds that fuel terrorism, civil war, strife, slavery in African countries. But something very important happened once, uh, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, once there was a proliferation of uh, media, of social media, of internet, people realized that how unethical they, these diamonds are, like this uh, object, this aspirational object that people gift as a symbol of love during engagement, during marriages, it has unethical sources. Uh, so a lot of countries, you know, got together and they passed this resolution, a law, that essentially banned buying diamonds from entities which were uh, mined from unethical means. And this process, like if I get too much into the tech part of it, it's called the Kimberley process. And uh, essentially countries, uh, individual companies, corporates, they cannot buy buy diamonds uh, which are mined illegally from Angola, Sierra Leone, uh, Congo, etc. 
and there are criminal charges put against companies and individuals who actually engage in the trade of unethical diamonds blood diamonds and wow. uh, one, so there's one a formal system trying to take care of this now yeah and india was actually one of the signatory members of the kimberly process so any indian company or individual right now do not does not engage in buying diamonds which do not have an origin source of certificate so all the diamonds in our country right now are ethical diamonds bought from mines which do not engage in slave labor or contribute to terrorism that's interesting do you think mm -hmm. that's that's being followed around the world strictly or do you think that's that's more of a gimmick or a mask see uh, we would never know whether this is actually followed in entirety but this is a procedure which is very strict it is followed by the indian government for sure because uh, uh unethical diamonds because india does not have does not permit the import of diamonds from these countries if they do not have an origin source of certificate so uh, this is something we can never be 100% sure of as of a lot of other things but it this mechanism aims to actually prevent uh, you know uh, rebel groups from using this money for uh, unethical illegal purposes okay that's very cool mm -hmm. to hear yeah. and reassuring to hear that at least we have a mechanism mm -hmm. to try mm -hmm. and control the blood diamonds phenomena but that sounds very mm -hmm. scary and yep wow i've heard only diamonds cut diamonds this is a saying in hindi as well sirf diamond ek diamond ko kaatta hai diamonds cut diamonds only diamonds can cut diamonds is that true so i mean technically you're true so there's this notion that diamond is the uh, you know uh, the strongest substance it's actually not the strongest it's the hardest substance so there's a okay. difference between hardness and strongness okay so so yeah this is interesting so when when i say that diamond is the hardest it means that it cannot be cut abraced or they cannot be chips on a diamond by any other substance but another diamond can actually easily influence another a given diamond so if you see the diamond manufacturing process like to make it clear for you uh, in the diamond manufacturing process when rough diamonds which essentially look like small cubes of sugar or coal they're actually put against a wheel a rotating wheel on which diamond dust is sprinkled so it's a very coarse wheel and this rough diamond this piece of sugar cube this piece of coal is actually put at varying degrees on this rotating wheel that cuts shapes and polishes the diamond so yeah a diamond is actually also made by a diamond wow so that yeah. saying is true even in the formal manufacturing process you have to put mm -hmm. diamond dust to polish up the diamond Uh, it's mm -hmm. no other material i was wondering if there was like a hard metal that could cut through the diamond and polish it but that's mm -hmm. that's crazy actually to think yeah. about it so diamonds so because of development of technology we do use lasers to cut the diamond cubes into rough shapes but for the final polishing for the final process diamond as we know as you see it in media it is actually done by diamond dust wow so the mm -hmm. diamond actually before it looks all polished it actually yeah. looks like a sugar cube Yeah, it looks like a sugar cube. Like it looks like it's slightly milky, slightly grey, slightly Whoa. black, and like you would actually think it's just a sugar cube just lying around. Whoa! Yeah, I would have never thought about that. Uh huh. <clears throat> very it intriguing. It is actually print. It is very intriguing, and there are massive factories in the western part of our country, in Gujarat, in Maharashtra, that employs thousands of individuals with their own wheels polishing diamonds. Like India is actually the world's largest diamond processing center. So nearly ninety percent of the world's diamonds go through India. Like it's not mined in India, but it is made in India. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I guess 
if India wants to do better, they should sell more diamonds, or they should market more diamonds. Yeah, so it's actually a very good uh, foreign exchange uh, currency earner for India. Like we see, like diamonds form nearly seven eight percent or nearly nine percent of India's foreign exchange revenues. Like India exports it to Hong Kong, it exports it to European countries and US. Like I think uh, uh, US India exported nearly sixteen or seventeen billion dollars of diamonds to US every year. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I want to touch back upon this a little bit. How mm-hmm. does one come up with the pricing of diamonds? I know you say said the four C's and the four dimensions mm-hmm. of pricing it, but yeah. how many channels and chains are there? How many uh, people get paid for the diamonds? And uh, these institutes that certify diamonds, do they also certify a kind of price or is it mm-hmm. kind of upon you? And the buyer who comes and you guys agree upon a price because I think buyers aren't so educated. How, how, how does a price come up for a diamond? So um, this is actually a very interesting question. And uh, historically, this has also been a very controversial question because yes, initially, historically, 20 years ago, diamond pricing was a very uh, shady, murky region. But now, like in 2020, diamond prices is essentially determined by the, uh, the amount of resources that goes in mining them. Plus the margins of the miner, the middleman and the jeweler before it reaches the hands of the consumer. So it's more of a supply demand thing now in 2020. But this was not the case 30 years ago when diamond prices were controlled by one company, like literally one company. So you must have heard about the De Beers Corporation. Yes. And uh, De Beers held nearly 90% of the world's diamond till the 80s. So it was essentially uh, set up by in, 18, in late 1800s by this guy called Cecil Rhodes. And uh, Cecil Rhodes essentially uh, created this mammoth, this giant company, De Beers, uh, which bought diamond from every mine that was discovered in the world. It used to buy all their supply. And it used to control the pipeline, the supply, and then determine its own price. So, yeah. Whoa. So, wait a minute. This company is buying all of the world's diamond and then setting the price. Yeah. This used to happen in the 70s, in the 80s probably in the 60s. So uh, this company, De Beers, it was essentially engaged in cartelization and price fixing of the diamonds. So whenever a diamond mine was being discovered, even the unethical diamonds, by the way, the blood diamonds, it used to purchase all the supply and it used to store that inventory. And uh, on the basis of the ongoing price of the diamond in the international trade, it used to release or control its inventory. So when the prices were really low, it used to control the inventory so that the price of diamond would steadily increase in the, amongst the middlemen, amongst the jewelers. And when the price started increasing abnormally, it would release the inventory. And uh, it also had something called auctions. So De Beers is essentially a mining company, right? And uh, then these miners sell the diamonds to the diamond processing units, the manufacturers. So it used to uh, like, you know, uh, hold auctions where these um, diamond manufacturers, processing units could bid for these rough diamonds. And De Beers used to set it at a price which would ensure that the price of diamonds steadily increases with time. So That's that mind-blowing. So that used to happen till the 80s, 90s. But then uh, a lot of antitrust uh, lawsuits were filed, a lot of class action lawsuits were filed, uh, anti-competition lawsuits, and which eventually led to De Beers changing its ways because uh, its trade was being banned by a number of governments around the world. So uh, De Beers actually decided to make a change. Uh, another reason why you know diamond prices these days are controlled by demand and supply is because 
initially the modern diamond trade uh, was centered in africa the mines were discovered only in africa but in the 2000s massive diamond mines were discovered in australia in russia and canada and these miners refused to enter the de beers pipeline they refused to sell their diamonds to de beers and they wanted to set their own price so as a result you know because of these new mines being discovered all around the world because of you know this mechanism that we had discussed earlier on blood diamonds that prevented de beers from buying these blood diamonds a lot of the diamonds started you know flowing outside the de beers control and as a result uh, de beers lost hold of its monopoly i mean it still controls nearly 30 35% of the world's trade but it is no longer the 90% and now the diamond prices are controlled by you know four to five large corporations as in every other industry and that sets its price its supply and demand wow that's a great yeah. insight mm-hmm. i'm 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 glad uh, you gave us all that yeah. detail and i think uh, for people who just don't know mm-hmm. much about diamonds all these mm-hmm. insights are like almost mind blowing and mind boggling for me to learn mm-hmm. about the history and how the pricing is set and how diamonds at one point were just literally controlled by one organization yeah so it was a very like that's why there's a lot of controversy right now if you go to social media you know go to popular media people say that diamond is man made the price is fixed it is nothing that was the case 30 40 years ago but now diamond prices is supply and demand right like even now like when i'm buying diamonds for in my jewelry if there's oversupply i can actually offer a lower price to my supplier compared to when there's less supply and have to pay a premium correct so in some yeah. ways getting more commoditized rather yeah. than being a monopoly that is just artificially controlled true true that is true wow mike why are diamonds the most precious gemstone why mm-hmm. because there are so many gemstones there's rubies pearls all these all these things that are around why mm-hmm. is diamond the most precious gemstone see uh if he, the reason for this uh, is actually multifound like there the number of reasons why diamonds are considered more precious than uh, you know sapphire emeralds rubies and the reason is primarily its rarity like you're much more likely to find sapphires and rubies compared to diamonds in nature and also because historically culturally diamonds have been considered to be the most precious gemstone out of all like don't get me wrong like you get burmese rubies and you get you know uh, tanzanian sapphires and emeralds which are as expensive as diamonds but if you see one corresponding like a similar size of a diamond and a ruby the diamond will be way more expensive than the ruby because of its rarity it's more difficult to mine it's more difficult to process and it's more sought after there's a higher demand for diamonds compared to rubies so that is the primary reason why uh, why diamonds are more precious compared to the other gemstones out there um and also one of the reasons that it is considered uh, more precious is because it's something as we said has been commoditized to a certain extent the trade is more organized and it has been commoditized to a certain extent so as a result it's easily liquid it can be easily liquidated like if you hold a diamond you can actually go to 20 places where it can be liquidated but if you hold a precious ruby there are hardly two places in this city that it can be liquidated so you know the, the ease of use has made it much more precious compared to other gemstones wow that's a, that's a great answer that makes sense and mm-hmm. okay rarity mm-hmm. hmm. yeah. rarity is always treasured rarity is always valued uh, mm-hmm. whether it comes to uh, like you know basketball cards games pokemon cards or diamonds true, <laughs> true. that's how humans work yeah 
I mean, you should see it compared to other luxury products, you know, like luxury purses, like if you want to buy a Gucci, a Gucci purse or a Lamborghini, then, uh, you know, it's more rare. It obviously has its own functional values compared to a similar, uh, like a similar Hyundai car, but it is more, it's more rare, it's more aspirational and uh, it's something uh, that is easily or instantly recognizable too. Correct. <laughs> Correct. The good thing about diamond is that it retains its value um, depending on the market. But I think maybe a luxury product will definitely have a lot of depreciation as time passes by. Well, that is like an excellent point because I was going to come there, you know, so it's a luxury, which is not a depreciating asset. Like the moment you buy a really expensive car or watches or shoes, it's value falls off as soon as you walk out from the store. Right. But diamond, maybe five years down the line, seven years down the line, when you want to sell it, when you want to liquidate your money, it has probably increased 10, 15%, 20% in value. So it's a luxury that not only provides you, uh, you know, societal status and is a good way to park your money. It also increases in value over a period of time. But here's the question. Uh, let's mm -hmm. say initially diamonds were controlled by one company. Now the supply has increased. What yeah. if there comes a time when we find a bunch of other mines and the supply increases so much? that the mm -hmm. diamond actually really falls in value. What do you think? Are the diamonds prices going to continuously keep rising? Because for gold, we are almost assured that gold mm -hmm. eventually keeps rising, retains its value. Is that true. the same or true for diamond? Uh, see, this is a hypothetical question, right? Because we are asking whether uh, we'll find new mines and the supply of the supply of rough diamond determines the price of the diamonds in the current supply chain. So yeah, I, I think if we find lots of uh, loads of new mines all over the world and there's millions of carrots being formed into the supply chain, then the price of diamond will fall. It won't increase perpetually. But I guess this is the same for any, you know, natural resource, natural material on earth. Like if you find uh, more oil wells, then the price of oil does fall. So this is same for diamonds, right? If, if you find more mines, the price of diamond will fall. And uh, actually the number of diamond mines, the number of diamonds being mined is actually falling with time because some of the larger mines in Australia have shut down. They have been depleted. Some of the mines in South Africa, they have been depleted. So um, in popular media, we know that diamonds, most of the diamonds are found in South Africa and Africa. But these days, I think Russia and Canada and Botswana are the largest sources of diamonds because these existing countries, their diamond has been depleted. India does not produce any more diamonds. It has been depleted. Indian mines are over. Wow. Yeah. How long does it take for a diamond to be formed? We always hear that, you know, diamond is from, formed from coal or coal. Yeah. And in these mines, you know, the coal just stands and stays for years and years and then it becomes a diamond. What's mm -hmm. that process like? Uh, the, the chemistry behind it, if you know, and how long does it take? So, okay, I'll make it very simple for, uh, for our viewers, for the layman to understand. Uh, so diamond is essentially carbon. It's just carbon. There is no other element in it. And it is one of the purest form of carbons. And the source of carbon can be coal. It can be marbles. It can be dolomites, limestones, etc. So what happened was uh, like millions of years ago, diamonds were formed under the crust of the earth. And uh, because of volcanic eruptions, they were brought to the surface. They were brought to a few feet within the earth's surface. And, uh, you know, because of forces of nature, because, you know, of rain, floods, etc. Some of this topsoil was removed and the early discoverers of diamond found it on the surface. So a lot of surface mining of diamonds took place. But now with increasing tech, you know, like 
better resources, you know, diamond shafts have been dug in volcanic regions going miles in depth, miles. So um, that's, it's actually a fascinating process, but it is similar to how other, uh, you know, stones are formed. It's essentially pressurized carbon brought to the surface in volcanic eruptions. So uh, we often find diamonds also on the ocean bed, on the ocean floor, because a lot of the diamonds is carried away by flowing water into the ocean floor. So the mouth of some of the rivers in Africa are actually the source of a great source of diamonds, like offshore diamond mining rigs are there, just like offshore oil wells. That's unreal. I didn't ever yeah. imagine <laughs> that diamonds would just come up on surface. That's the beauty of nature. That's the bounty of nature, mm -hmm. actually. It makes, me, it makes me realize that. Wow. I have a last question for you. Mm -hmm, definitely. A lot of people think putting money in diamonds is a waste. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that we should maybe put our resources into more tangible things or stuff that helps people more, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. As somebody who deals in luxury products, what's your opinion? I know this is a tough one, but what's your opinion? That's actually a very good question. And it is something we often hear like in our trade that right now, our main competition is essentially luxury cars and, you know, like foreign vacations every year because it's eating into the disposable income that people used to spend on diamonds. And um, if we see from the luxury goods perspective, right, when we buy a luxury car, when you buy luxury shoes, luxury watches, etc., they do provide us functional value. However, they are depreciating assets. As soon as we buy them, the value goes off by 50% when you walk out from the store. So yeah, a luxury bag or a luxury watch will tell us the time and will allow us to carry our stuff. But if you go by its aspirational value, its cultural value, that money is lost as soon as we put in it. However, in diamonds, when we invest our money into it, a proportionate amount of income that we want to splurge, not only provides us the ornamental value, it's actually a safe asset to park your money in. Because, you know, five years down the line, seven years down the line, 10, 15 years down the line, it's something whose value will not decrease. You can pass on to the next generation and it's not depreciating. So, so what do you tell yeah. the person who mm -hmm. says, we want to just let go luxury. We should not have mm -hmm. luxury products. We should not have such expensive products. What do you tell to them uh, for people who say okay. that we should just focus on food and maybe, you know, uh, spend this money on donations. Mm -hmm. What do you say to the person? Is that practical? Is that workable? See, that is practical. Actually, that is very good, you know, because if you want to not engage, to not indulge in luxury products, then you're fine. Do not consider diamond a luxury product. But here, diamond actually has an advantage over other luxury products in that it's an investment vehicle. If you are investing your money in financial instruments and in property, then diamond is also a very safe physical asset. Yes, it's not a very fast growing asset, but it's a safe physical asset where you can park some money that you do not want to be subjected to financial market movements, to property crashes, and something that is very tradable, easy to store, and that you can gift people. So yeah, if somebody does not want to indulge in luxury products, great. But if that same person is investing in investing his or her money in financial instruments and diamond is actually a very good investment in a physical asset. Well, Mike, I must say you answered all the questions very honestly and with depth. Uh, you mm -hmm. talked about the history of diamonds, the process mm -hmm. of it, how the pricing works. And you were so honest about all the controversy mm -hmm. behind diamonds mm -hmm. and how, how everything happened. So thank you so mm -hmm. much for that. Thank you, Nareen, for having me on your talk show. And uh, I'll actually be very excited to see more episodes of your show. Thank you very much, Mike. Especially the Monday morning. Go. 
<laughs> especially the monday morning motivations <laughs> <laughs> thank you mike before we let you go uh, do you have any questions for me actually yeah i have one question for you suppose you have a very radical idea you know a ground breaking idea how do you introduce that radical idea your ground breaking idea to the people around you who can help you make it happen do you actually try it and then do it and show the world like your radical idea or do you just try to first you know engage everybody and get everyone support before you go to it like what is the process of doing something radical which will which might blow somebody's mind that's amazing so the challenge with having a radical idea is that most people are very logical and radical ideas are not very logical they are driven by emotion they are driven, driven by magic not logic and we are we are most of us are educated in such a factory style way almost like industrial way industrial classrooms i call them because mm-hmm. it's mass manufacturing of a certain type of thought process that we just totally reject any radical ideas so one thing is it it would depend if it's a service or it's a product what idea it is if you can add some logical aspects to it because if you don't add logic to it people will be hard to accept it people will not take it mm-hmm. so that's one aspect i would say so working on adding logical numbers data to it so that mm-hmm. you can convince people easier the second thing is then topping off it off with emotions because any idea if it's radical and it doesn't have the right emotions people will not buy in see only the people who had radical ideas and who could actually implement were people who used immense amount of emotion because emotion is actually more powerful than logic but if True. placed correctly mm-hmm. so if you have a logical uh, radical idea number one thing is to try and see if you can back it up with logic and to top it off with emotion because just an idea will not go through radically if you don't have these two aspects covered logic and emotion very powerfully mm-hmm. having said that let's say it's a product i would say a picture is worth a thousand words so if it's a product that you thought of if you can de- design some sort of a picture rather than just say it in words it would be much more valuable the people would accept it much more and then i would say a prototype is worth a thousand pictures so a picture is worth a thousand words but a prototype mm-hmm. is worth a thousand pictures meaning if you can make it a real 3d prototype if it's a product that would give a much bigger sense much feel factor for people around you so these are few tips that i would say logic emotion top it all off and if it's a product try to mm-hmm. pictureize it try to put it into a prototype because if you appeal the senses you can probably appeal the person into buying into what you're trying to sell as a radical idea mm-hmm. lastly there will so always be disbelievers that, yeah mm-hmm. there yeah, will always be disbelievers there was always be disbelievers and if you really have that belief you should go on with it regardless you know, that that is actually a very good reply so like if i summarize this you're saying that if i have a radical idea i should try to prototype it and then when i'm displaying my prototype i add layers of logic in with the emotions yes that's sir that's the way to do it yes sir and in today's world depending on who you're pitching to i would say at least 70% logic at least mm-hmm. because that's how people are convinced and that's how un- that i would say it's unfortunate but that's how it's become that's how the world has become um but 30% emotion strong emotion that that should do the job that's that's my take yeah. thank you thank you and actually uh, strong emotions are something uh, that you need good communication skills for yes so, so here you are doing social service narin <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it's gratifying my heart too so mm-hmm. i guess it's a win win yeah. situation 
Thank you so much, Mayank. Thanks for being on the Thank show. You. Thanks for a great question. Thank you. I will see you very soon, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Thank you,